Did you know that some travel credit cards offer 10x points on your spending? Don't miss out on big rewards for your next trip. NerdWallet lets you compare smart travel credit cards side-by-side, -side, curated by an expert team of finance nerds. What could future you do with better travel rewards? A free flight? A room upgrade? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. When I'm not hosting this podcast, I am writing books, but it is really hard for me to write when I'm at home, so I like to find remote cabins in the middle of nowhere to just hang out and write. But I hate the idea of my house just sitting empty, doing nothing but collecting dust and definitely not collecting checks. And that's why I'm an Airbnb host. It's one of my all-time favorite side hustles. Other popular side hustles are awesome too, don't get me wrong, but they often involve big startup costs. By hosting your space, you're monetizing what you already have access to. It doesn't get easier than that. And if you're new to the side hustle game and you're anxious about getting started, don't worry because you're not in this alone. Airbnb makes it super easy to host. I mean, if I could do it, you could do it. And your home might be worth a lot more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com host. I'm Nicole Lappin, the only financial expert you don't need a dictionary to understand. It's time for some money rehab. Last week, the United States House of Representatives passed a plan to provide $14.3 billion of aid to Israel. So the conflict in the Middle East will continue to be a big headline in financial news for some time to come. A few weeks ago, I had Dan Senor, foreign policy expert, on the show who said that Israel is a country uniquely primed for resilience. But as the war wages on in Israel, resilience feels like it is far away or even impossible. To explain, though, how peace could be possible in the region, I'm talking to Ron Prosser, Israel's ambassador to Germany. Here's our conversation. Ambassador Prosser, welcome to Money Rehab. Happy to be with you. How are you? How am I? I say it this way. I have a personal history with Germany. My father was born in Germany, in Berlin, with his sister, Lieselotte. Uh, the family name was Porskauer, and they lived here in Berlin with my grandparents, Friedel and Bertolt Porskauer. Bertolt Porskauer was a Prussian officer, and uh, the family had to flee Germany at the end of '33. And for me to return to Germany as an ambassador representing the nation state of the Jewish people, is closing a circle, is emotional, and I think uh, I could say, Nicole, that it is my calling. When Israel is not at war, what is the primary function of Israel's ambassadors? After the United States of America, Germany is Israel's second strategic partner. And an ambassador deals with, you know, tangibles, for example, when Israel bids on selling the Arrow 3 rocket defense system to Germany, as you know, there are many competitors and you have to really work with all parts of society. Uh, hence, with the Bundestag or the parliament, with the politicians, with making and the defense established to really make this deal happen. 
that takes a lot of energy. And at the end of the day, I can tell you that uh, we were successful in doing that, which means that this export is approximately over $4 billion. Just think of the working places in Israel, what it means for Israel's industry, defense industries. This is one issue. The second issue is the German economy. I mean, I want every Israeli child and hopefully an American child to know what the Mittelstand is. The Mittelstands are small uh, enterprises in Germany, which are the backbone of German's economy. This Mittelstand looks for partners in high-tech, in technology, and Israel and Germany complement themselves. Then we have an amazing relationship on the research and development issue. And of course, on the uh, political level, on trying to have Germany stand with Israel in this special time after the 7th of October, standing with us uh, on our side, not wavering, and standing with us, especially in international fours and in the European Union. And, of course, helping us out with things that we need from Germany that pertain exactly to the war that we are now conducting with Hamas. So this is just, you know, off-the-cuff things that an ambassador does in one of Israel's biggest embassies in the world. Yeah, well, how has the role changed in the last few weeks? Israel will never be the same again as before the 7th of October. Uh, and the mere notion of using those two words, never again, especially on German soil, is very, very imminent. I mean, never again. And today, when we are at war now with Hamas, I think it's obvious, not just to us, but it's beginning to be obvious to many democratic countries around the world that we are on the front line. But this is a fight for democracy, for freedom, and for exactly the values that democratic societies actually hold. Uh, for the German society, there was just a poll two days ago, 60% of Germans are afraid from what they see on the streets of and the violence, uh, now not directly connected to Jews. And you see a rise in, you know, by 240% on anti-Semitic incidents. Jews, Israelis are afraid to go in the underground, to put a kippah, to talk Hebrew on the, on the cell phones. And Germany, from the chancellor downwards, is really standing firm now. And I'm very, very grateful and I think proud that Germany is doing this. First of all, for their own sake. And secondly, basically connecting to what they saw that happened on the 7th of October. I mean, I've been thinking a lot about you in this moment 
in the world, you're, of course, Israel's ambassador to Germany, Germany responsible for the Holocaust. Uh, now we're following the most fatal attack on the Jewish people since that time. Do you feel the weight of this? You're in such an important position to feel the significance of this tragedy and, and the significance in history, really. I think I feel the urge to stand up and basically call it and say, just a second here, wake up. Uh, if you don't understand that they are a threat to you, they're a threat to any Western societies, and uh, this, this, I feel, is for me now, and I think for every Israeli, really, really important, because Hamas didn't make a differentiation between you know, left-wing Jews, right-wing Jews, Orthodox Jews, secular Jews, conservative Jews didn't make a difference. Any Jew, babies, women, Holocaust survivors, you know, just eliminating, slaughtering. This is who we are up against. I think not just for us, this should be a huge wake-up call for Western democracies. Yeah, because after... Should we expect, if you're hearing, more violent demonstrations to continue like this or to escalate? Like, should we have more caution in our daily lives? I think that when it, we can expect the uh, demonstrations to continue, absolutely. And when people really, you know, incite to kill and to use violence, they will be brought before the courts, which is new in Germany, not easy in Germany because of the past because of the respect to privacy. So in the sense, this is a beginning of a long journey in which I hope at the end of the day, we'll have more people connected to democratic values and, and beliefs as we all grew up believing it. I, I hope so. Only time will tell in the future. But let's do a little time traveling to the past for a moment. You oversaw Israel's disengagement from Gaza in 05. Can you tell us what was happening before the disengagement proposal and then why disengagement was positioned as the right solution for those circumstances at the time? So just think until 2005, uh, basically we said, hey, we don't have a partner we can really make a deal with. Uh, the world was pressing. We were thinking, let's try and change the equation. So in essence, the idea of disengagement out of Gaza was that we looked at Israel's national security interests and analyzed them and said, if we take the 22 settlements in Gaza out, and if we basically go back to the border and also take, and people forget that, four settlements out of Judea and Samaria will show them political horizon. We will change the equation. We are basically going out of Gaza, never to look back into Gaza. What have we lost in Gaza? So in the sense we handed them Gaza, we thought that we were doing the right thing. We thought that this is going to be an experiment, you know, stage one, for us to be able to continue. But Hamas had a completely different narrative. They said, look at this, the Jews 
are running away from Gaza. Why are they running away? Because of violence and terror. Let's continue with violence and terror. And people forget that uh, Hamas was voted in 2006 democratically, in parentheses, so they voted for Hamas, the population. So in order, you can't really differentiate the way people do between the leadership of Hamas and the people. Uh, what we saw on the 7th of October, that many, many people in Gaza, not just Hamas terrorists, went out to the kibbutzim, to the cities, did horrific things out there, horrific things. Before we move on, we've heard kibbutz or kibbutzim a lot in the news. Can you just explain what a kibbutz is? Both of my parents actually grew up, one in Deganya and one in Genesar. It's like such a beautiful community. And so for people who might not realize what that is, can you explain? Absolutely. Before even the establishment of the Safe of but after the establishment, you know, many came with the socialist ideas and basically said, okay, here we go in communities, we work the land, men and women are equal, we put the children together in children homes so the women and the men can go out and work in the fields. Everyone worked. At the sense, the idea was equality. So basically, we all work together what we bring is divided to all parts of community. In Hebrew, the translation is collectiveness. So in the sense, uh, now you can work outside, but the money that you earn comes to the kibbutz. Decisions were always made in majority, not one person. They go into the uh, dining room and everyone raises, it's like resolutions at the UN, raises a resolution, People debate the resolution, then vote for it. I really have huge, huge respect and appreciation for Kibbutzim. And yeah, I agree. And thank you for clarifying the idea of the Kibbutzim. I always struggle explaining it as a socialist community because socialism has such a negative connotation. But every time I've gone, it's like this beautiful, happy community that people care about each other everybody raises the kids both my parents were orphans they took them in my father was older than the state of israel and i my middle name miriam is actually after the caretaker he had on the kibbutz uh and so when you would describe it like these are just hippie, happy people <laughs> together that were so brutally attacked. And I think that if you've never been to Israel, like you don't realize how brutal that is. Oh, yes. And there were good people. You know, it's I know today it's simplistic to say, but there were good people with good values and a real notion of respecting every person, no matter what his religion is or who he is. It's a catastrophe. As of right now, the situation is still very much a full-on war. At the time we're recording this, it you know the updates come in by the minute. Uh, so let's take a look now at the future. Where do we go from here, Ambassador? What do you expect to happen in the region? So I want to remind our listeners that we already established the Abraham Accords, meaning you know peace that we have with the Emirates, with the UAE, that's Dubai, Abu Dhabi, Bahrain, Morocco, 
uh, in essence, for the first time with the Arab world in this Abram uh, cause, we have a people to people. So they come with different perceptions that they had of Israel. We They thought that we Israelis and Jews have horns. And they come and visit Israel. They move in Tel Aviv, in Jerusalem. They're amazed, you know, what societies they find. And they return with a different perception on Israel and Israelis. Now, don't worry, they don't become Zionists or they don't donate, you know, for trees in the KKL. But their perception is different. We have peace with Egypt and peace with Jordan. We gave every centimeter territory back to Egypt and to Jordan. Then why am I emphasizing this? Because we were already with one step in achieving peace with Saudi Arabia. So it's not coincidental that when we were already nearing the peace with Saudi Arabia, Iran decided how can we destroy it? And in essence, Hamas, unprovoked, no coincidence that it took place when it did, unprovoked, went out and attacked those terrorists, Israel, in, you know, one of our religious days, Simchat Torah, uh, which shows you that the idea was to try and destroy the regional peace that was happening around us. So you asked me, and now I'm coming back to your question, how do I see, you know, the future? I We have to eliminate Hamas and its leadership. The minute we do that, I think we can begin in going back to trying to create regional cooperation that hopefully will lead to regional peace. Hold on to your wallets. Money Rehab will be right back. Do you ever get FOMO, fear of missing out? Well, do you ever get FOMO Tupita, fear of missing out on the perfect hire? If so, I have the antidote. It's LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In any given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites, and that adds up to a serious squad of awesome candidates. LinkedIn has over a billion professionals on the platform, and these candidates are super qualified. So much so that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within just 24 hours. I work with LinkedIn Jobs for all of my dream team needs, so they're hooking up money rehabbers at linkedin.com slash MNN. Go there and you can post your job for free. That's linkedin.com slash MNN, as in Money News Network, to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Money rehabbers, you have money hidden in your house. Yeah, just hiding there in plain sight. Okay, so I don't mean you have gold bars hidden somewhere in walls, treasure map style, but you do have a money-making opportunity that you're just leaving on the table if you're not hosting on Airbnb. It's one of my all-time favorite side hustles. By hosting your space, you are monetizing what you already own. It doesn't get easier than that. For me, hosting on Airbnb has always been a no-brainer. When I first signed up, I remember thinking to myself, self, you pay a lot of money for your house. It is time that house returned the favor. 
And to get real with you for a sec, I felt so much guilt before treating myself on vacation because traveling can be so expensive. But since hosting on Airbnb, I feel zero stress for treating myself to a much needed vacation because having Airbnb guests stay at my house when I'm traveling helps offset the cost of my travel. So it's such a win-win. I mean, if I could do it, you could do it. And your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. And now for some more money rehab. The UN called for a ceasefire, but Israel continues, of course, the counterattack. What do you think it would take for Israel to decide to ceasefire? Hamas basically broke the ceasefire that we had. We had a ceasefire with Hamas. They broke it, slaughtering our people. We are not going to give them any ceasefire uh, until we really take out the infrastructure, the terror infrastructure of Hamas. Uh, they abuse their own population and use them really as human shields. And when you zoom out for a second and say, hey, just a second, all the money that was supposed to go, all the cement that you had to build, schools or hospitals, and all the steel that went in, instead of building, what they did is they built tunnels, rockets, used and abused everything in order to create a terror state. And against this terror state, okay, we are now going after those people that created the biggest massacre against the Jewish people after the Holocaust. Can you explain the resolution that was adopted by the UN last week? What can I tell you? A resolution that does not include, doesn't say anything on who's responsible, that Hamas was uh, responsible for the massacre. It doesn't say anything about the kidnapped 242 from 41 nations. Not a word about Finland, the United Nations. Yeah, really. And I say nothing about Israel's right to defend itself. I mean, those are the three elements. Those who voted for such a resolution can also only say, shame, 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 shame on you. But Germany, where you are, abstained from the United right. Nations General Assembly vote. You said it was morally wrong. And what I did this abstention mean to Israel? I say that the abstention, you know, I'll begin like this. I think that from day one, the German Chancellor was really, really clear in his support for Israel, saying the only side Germany can be is on Israel's side. Uh, no other country has sent the chancellor, the foreign minister, and the defense minister to Israel and basically support Israel in tangibles since the beginning. And then abstaining at the UN, I mean, there's a, a problematic record of German voting at the UN. And believe me, I was there, I know. So it's not now. But from my point of view, Abstaining on a resolution like that is very disappointing, very, very disappointing. And I made myself publicly uh, also uh, clear on this. Uh, so 
On the one hand, we have Germany, really, and I repeat that, really with us uh, on also intangibles, but on the issue of the UN, I don't understand it. And in five or 10 years, I think it will be uh, looked upon as very disappointing and even harsher words. Yeah, because what kind of message does that send to the world? That just continues to fuel anti-Semitism. As you can see, I'm not going to be the spokesman of the German government on this issue. But again, I have to be fair, the chancellor, spot on also in the European Union support for us, spot on on really backing Israel on many fronts. We have an amazing cooperation, both militarily and also uh, on other dimensions, which now I see how supportive Germany is to Israel. And again, after saying all this, uh, I told you what I think about the, uh, the vote at the UN. What do you think now is the region's best chance at peace? Or is there one? I think we can Why? all agree that nobody wants innocent people to die. But is there a chance for peace? It's very hard to talk about this now because I don't want to be the, you know, the guy in class that really gets an A mark for showing that he can really think, you know, in uh, strategic terms. Now we have to eliminate Hamas's ability to control Gaza. It's obvious we cannot do anything with Hamas, its ideology and the way it works. We have to eliminate. So in the sense, I can tell you one thing. I don't know exactly what is going to be afterwards. I think I know what we want there to be, but we can. We have to focus on making sure that Hamas does not control Gaza anymore after we finish. Now, what we have with Hamas in the south, we have something very similar with Hezbollah in the north. Okay? This is something that Israel, again, uh, very, very hard because to live with, okay, with something like that, with a firing power of Hezbollah of 130,000 missiles and rockets, more firing power than most NATO members. So in the sense, we have to understand that if we want to move forward, okay, we need to make sure that elements like that are not there anymore. And it's something which is crucial. We see Iran around those countries, those as proxies from Iran. So the, one of the proxies is Hamas. We saw what they did. The other is Hezbollah. They are now conducting already a limited war up in the north, again, unprovoked by Israel. And suddenly we see missiles flying to Israel from Yemen. Okay, Yemen, the Houthis are also proxies of Iran. So this is orchestrated by the mastermind, this evil mastermind in Iran. And we and the world, okay, should understand. You can't make deals with the Ayatollahs and the Mullahs. 
the only deal that you make with them at the end of the day, you'll be hanging in the in the middle of Tehran. So we have to change the way we see this. And then I think there's the options to continue what we started with, with uh, Saudi Arabia and others in order to achieve regional peace. But it's, it's going to take huge time, Nicole. And how do we change people's minds about this idea that I don't understand how Israel loses this PR war, that people are against democracy? Is that essentially, how do we lose this ambassadorship toward young people in the United States? How do we have protests and PR around supporting anything but democracy? What am I missing? Oh, you're not missing. You're spot on. Look at what happens at Ivy Universities. Look what's happening at Harvard or at Yale or at Stanford or at Penn. I mean, really? Students standing up and supporting Hamas? I mean, God, what class did you miss in those Ivy Universities? Who's paying for you to really... uh, That's what you're learning out there? So you begin with that, which is, you know, it's shocking for you. It's shocking for me. And I think it should be shocking to anyone that understands what happens at universities now. I mean, this is, you know, a lack of leadership on universities, you know, deans and heads of universities saying, just a second, this is not freedom of speech here. This is what you're doing is inciting to terror and violence. You're inciting and supporting, you know, butchering people. I mean, really, you've lost the ability to, you know, to make a difference between good and bad, between civilization and barbarism. What what classes have you been missing? Or what whiskey have you been drinking? I mean, wake up, guys. And this is something that I think the world, you at the U in the US, would have to encounter because this is really incomprehensible. There's no other word for me. And how do you suggest to people to become an ad hoc ambassador? I'm not sure how you get to be an actual ambassador. Maybe you can tell me. Um, but if you want to just act as a moral ambassador or as a social ambassador, what would your suggestion be? So first I'll tell our, you know, our viewers that uh, in most countries and, you know, Israel, the United States, you need at least, you know, a bachelor's degree. It doesn't make a difference what from. I mean, you can be an economist, you can be a lawyer, you can be a dentist, you can be a medical doctor. So in the sense, the bar is is at least a BA in order to enter the uh, entrance exams, which are nationwide usually. And then the process takes on those exams, because it's the three stages approximately a year until you get in into the foreign service and you start as a cadet. And you basically start as the second secretary, first secretary, and then you rise through the ranks. So I had the privilege, really, of starting really as the lowest form of animal life. 
<laughs> and basically running Israel's foreign service and really having the privilege of being Israel's ambassador to the United Kingdom, United Nations, and Germany. I really feel privileged. Uh, but anyone can be a goodwill ambassador, taking an issue, rallying people around this, you know, and and making a difference. We all can make a difference. We all can make a difference. And uh, we have to believe in that, and we have to take a cause and move forward with it. And you'll be surprised. If you have a good cause, you push it forward, people will rally behind you. Nicole, you look like the person who could lead something like this. Sign me up. Ambassador, we end our episodes by asking our guests for one tip that listeners can take straight to the bank. If someone is listening to this from a country outside of Israel and wants their UN representative or their ambassador to support Israel or support anything for that matter, what should they do? First of all, they should uh, not shy and basically talk to the congressmen, talk to the staffers, go out there and, you know, create if you can. You know, social media, videos, YouTube, and maybe, you know, try from your side to explain and support the only democratic state in the Middle East. And I would say, you know, from my point of view, for everyone to know that the state of Israel will always reach out our hand to anyone who wants peace with us. But with the other hand, we're going to hold the shield of David very, very close to our hearts because only a strong Israel, a very strong Israel, can achieve peace in this region. Money Rehab is a production of Money News Network. I'm your host, Nicole Lappin. Money Rehab's executive producer is Morgan Lavoie. Our researcher is Emily Holmes. Do you need some money rehab? And let's be honest, we all do. So email us your money questions, moneyrehab at moneynewsnetwork.com to potentially have your questions answered on the show or even have a one-on-one -on -one intervention with me. And follow us on Instagram at moneynews and TikTok at moneynewsnetwork for exclusive video content. And lastly, thank you. No, seriously, thank you. Thank you for listening and for investing in yourself, which is the most important investment you can make.